Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle, along with Rachel Santizo, Hello. my co-host. This would be this. We have done so many of these. We I have. think this would be our 143rd. Wow, that's. Do you know what that means? I love you. Whoa. Yeah. So Rachel and I are getting married next week. No. Because <laughs> it's like an underground code for like how many letters are in those words. So one, four, three means I love you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, I love you too, Rach. Thank you. Thank but you. But <laughs> I'm not ready. After four divorces, I'm just not ready dang for it, another marriage. I guess I have to do 143 more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is probably one of the most watched mm -hmm. and listened to podcasts dealing with addiction and recovery, and probably yeah. because some of the comments we're getting, uh, by the way, you can you can uh, rate us yes. on iTunes and, and leave a comment if you want. But but the the primary, by the way, all of our all of our reviews are five star reviews. That's incredible. It's because That's, you're hot and sexy. Is, is it? But is it the <laughs> no. voice, though? No. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, if you want to if you want to leave a comment, but most of them, yeah. uh, most of the comments, they like the fact that most of our guests are real. Yeah. Which is obvious. You know, that no people, filter. people in recovery. Uh, we, we got some analytics that okay. I want to lay on you. OK. Uh, <laughs> Again, this blows me away. The city in America where we are most watched and listened to. I don't. Is it? Is it in Ohio? Columbus, Ohio. They it continue, is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's like. <sighs> Got it know, right. <laughs> in, in, in one week, we had uh, 207 people in Columbus. Wow. And it's like, why? And I know it's not because I went to Ohio State back in the 60s. I don't you know. know. I worked at a bar there. You know? I feel like that's the reason why, because why else? I don't know. Maybe we should go visit there sometime. If, if you're watching or listening uh, in Columbus, and you yeah. get on iTunes and uh, and leave us a comment or, you know, yeah. I, I'd just like to know why. And then uh, the other uh, in in uh, in Utah... Can you guess what the most active cities are? In Utah? Yeah. Salt Lake City. Yeah. And then the other was, gosh, I wrote it in notes. Oh, uh, American Fork. Well, that's great. Yeah. I love that. Thank so, you. Yeah. Thank you all for watching mm -hmm. and listening. Uh, we're going to sort of turn things around here a little. I, I'm, I'm sort of... Uh, I'm sort of dominant, I guess, sometimes in these in these podcasts. Yes. And so you'd like to be dominant today. So I want to dominate yeah. Randall today. A little S&M <laughs> here on Odyssey House <laughs> Journals and with my dominatrix, Rachel Santizo. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, and here's the real reason why is that you give so much, Randall, and you share so many stories and the world. I want the world to hear about you. For once, like who you are. And um, you have some incredible stories, too. Well, some so, of them I can't share. I know. Well, yeah. we'll keep it no. PG-13. <laughs> I, well, they, well, other guests here have not kept it PG-13. It's true. It's true. Know, so it's, well, you could just share, you know, whatever you want. But you're very open that you have um, 10 and a half years of recovery. Right. That you've had four divorces. That you've been a news anchor. And there's some like, in, you have some incredible history being a news anchor for over 40 years. You have experienced some things. I have. I've had, a, and I've been very lucky. And I and I should point out, one of the reasons I was reluctant when I uh, 
when I first finally found recovery was to to admit that I was a functional alcoholic. Yeah. Is I didn't, you know, over over 40 years being an anchor man, I was an anchor person in uh, uh, Colorado Springs, Salt Lake City, Minneapolis, Dallas, Dayton, Ohio. So yeah. there's a lot of people who may have remembered seeing me on the mm-hmm. air. And what I didn't want is for people to think, well, he was drunk when he was doing all this because I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and, and and when I say functional alcoholic, I never drank in the daytime. I never drank before newscasts or anything. And and I would go home and, you know, you don't get off. If you're the main anchor, you, you do a 10, 10 o'clock newscast here or 11 o'clock on the East Coast. And so you don't get home till late or maybe you go to a bar after the late news. Uh, and and I would drink every night till I would pass out. Uh, but uh, and, but then I could I didn't have to be at work the next day till like two in the afternoon. Yeah. So I could recover. What know. was your fear behind that? Because it it had to have been a lot. You're you're someone in the community that everybody looks at daily. That you give some of the most critical points on what's happening in our community and world. What was the fear, and then what? What had you, how did you overcome that fear? Well, you know, I never felt, um, I, I mean, I started at a very young age. I won the Ohio State Radio Announcing Contest when I was 14. Wow. And got a job in radio and worked in radio uh, part-time uh, through high school and then in college at a radio station in Columbus, Ohio. Maybe maybe that is why. Yeah, that's maybe. what I was just yeah, thinking. We just figured it out. It was the only rock and roll station at the time. Oh, that's really cool. Little a little <laughs> story here, how sleazy we were at the time. You know, Ohio State has tens of thousands of co-eds, right? Uh-huh. And, and I was the evening news guy, and I was good buddies with the jock. And so... We, the jock, we would just pick out the name of a of a women's dorm yeah. at Ohio State, and it, and then he'd say, "This song's going out for the girls at uh, whatever hall at Ohio State." And by the way, we'll be at the North Heidelberg Bar when we get off the air, <laughs> and and it was invariably we pick, pick up women. That's pretty sleazy. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I so I was used to people knowing knowing my name and voice in radio and then my face in TV. And people always say, for the most part, say nice stuff. Well, I listened to you or I watched you and I, I love you on the air, that kind of stuff. And I, I, I always had sort of an inferiority complex and I never okay. felt that I was worthy of the attention that I was getting. Really? That, I think that's really important for people to hear. Tell me a little bit more about that. I, I, I mean, you're Randall Carlyle. Well, well, see, you just did it. Exactly. Uh, and, and I don't know. I just never felt, I thought, well, okay, I, I do have a God-given uh, a gift of a, a reasonable voice, and, and I look okay on TV. Um, and, and, but I never, I never felt, I, I guess when I started, I never felt like I was part of the group or the cool gang growing up. Okay. Uh, and I never felt comfortable in social situations. Uh, never felt comfortable trying to pick up a woman, anything okay. like that, until I drank. So I was just going to okay. say It so. gave me liquid courage. Yes. And I relied on that liquid courage throughout my whole life uh, to feel feel equal maybe or worthy of whatever was coming my way like um, um sociable like being able to get out there and have yeah, conversations yeah, because people expect 
if, if they see you on mm-hmm. TV, they say, well, he must be a cool guy with a good personality and right. all that kind of stuff. So and I never felt that. like I did until I was drinking. How old were you when you started drinking? Uh, I think I was 13 or 14. How did you know? So you start drinking, but and you also do a radio thing. Like, how did you know you even had a radio voice? Like, how does that happen? Well, the, the way I won the radio announcing contest, I was on the debate team and we went to okay. the state tournament. And it costs so much to go from, because I grew up in this little town in northeastern Ohio, to go to Columbus mm-hmm. to participate in this tournament. And my big thing was debate. Okay. Uh, and one of the entries that you can make is the radio announcing contest. And nobody wanted to enter. And my debate coach said, would, would you be willing to enter it? Wow. And and it was totally based on, they put you in a studio. You're 14 and it was at Ohio, the tournament was at Ohio State. And, and they had a pretty good student radio station and everything. And they put you in a studio and they give you cold copy. So you couldn't read it over at all. Okay. And then they'd, and they'd point to you. They'd say, we're recording, go. Oh. And then you had to read this. And, and and my voice had changed at that time. It had gotten deeper. And I was a good reader because mm-hmm. I loved reading books. And and I think that makes you a good reader for, you know, for radio or television or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I read through this script rather flawlessly. Nice. And, I, and, and I won. And that started the journey. That started the whole journey. Of both the alcohol, the socialism, all of it. Yeah, yeah everything. <laughs> and, and, and I just find it was fun. You know, for yeah. years and years, it was fun working in radio and television. What was your first um, television? So you start doing that. And then what was your first gig as in television? I, I had worked my way up in radio to this giant radio station in Detroit. Uh, that uh, And back then, you're going to, this really dates me, it was before FM. So it was, uh, the, really? yeah, the FM was, the only FM that existed back then was, uh, sort of underground music uh, playing long album cuts. And (laughs) it'd be like, okay, here's another cut from Led Zeppelin, uh, you know. And and, and we were like uh, hip, we were were like top 40, you know. Yeah. Uh, And and we broadcast, we were at 800 on the dial and we hit 27 states and four provinces. Wow. So uh, in Canada. And so... um, but and we were making pretty good money. I was in my twenties, uh, and but I read uh, I read about the anchor in Detroit. The number one anchor in Detroit had signed the first one hundred thousand dollar a year contract, Ooh. and I looked at that and I said, I think I got to get into television. Wow! And and so I had a friend who worked. At, now back then it was hard to make a tape to send out because you send tapes back then. You sent tapes out to stations to sort of audition. Wow, okay. Uh, and, and it was hard. We didn't have cell phones or video cameras or anything like that. Uh, so it was hard to make a tape to send out. And I had a friend who worked at a Detroit uh, TV station who helped me make a tape. And I sent tapes out all over the country to get a job in television. And uh, I kept getting a catch-22. They, they kept saying... Well, okay, you're a good journalist and you have a nice voice and you look okay, but you have no TV experience. Mm, okay. And I thought, well, how the hell do you get TV experience <laughs> if you don't find a job? <laughs> so the only job that was offered to me out of all the tapes I sent out was in Colorado Springs. Oh, okay. And at the time, and think about this, because I was in a union in Detroit 
And the minimum pay was 50000 a year back in 1973. That was a lot of money. That is a lot. So I went and the station in Colorado Springs offered me a weekend anchor weekday street reporter job for 11000 a year. So Ooh, I went you, from 50000 a year to 11000 a year. Is that so you could get on this? Yeah, it was sort of like, it, it was. I, I sort of considered it like going back to school. So you're paying your dues again because I had to learn how television works. Okay, so let's go. So you're in Colorado. So when, when you're in Colorado Springs, what was the most monumental story or what touched you? I don't even remember. And I just... Uh, I don't think there was any significant story in, that I remember. Anyway, uh, I, the highlights of the stories, because I went from Colorado Springs, Dayton, Salt Lake City, Minneapolis, Dallas, back to Salt Lake. Okay. Okay. And, and the larger the market, the more money you make. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I guess some of the highlights were I had a one-on-one with President Jimmy Carter. Uh, How was that? Uh, it, I couldn't get him to... I couldn't get him to give me a straight answer. He was a nice guy, yeah. you know, but I couldn't, he, he just had this sort of a response. I was trying to get him to talk about, I was working in Dayton at the time and he was running for office again. And, and Dayton has a huge Air Force base. Okay. And I was, and, and I had heard that he was considering cuts in the defense budget, mm. which would have affected the, the Air Force base in Dayton. And I tried and I kept, trying to get him to, you know, and I'd ask him 10 different ways and he had some stock answer yeah. that wasn't really an answer. But it was it was sort of cool because, you know, you get searched by the Secret Service and then you sit down and they're all, you know, it, it was cool. Uh, I was at Kent State during the shootings when the National Guard shot and killed four students. Um, I was a total idiot because the... What had happened was it was it was a protest of the Vietnam War, okay. and the kids had burned down the ROTC building, the ROTC building before, yes. uh, and, and and then the National Guard was called in, and they had tanks blocking off all the streets, and they said there was going to be a, a, a rally in the Commons at Kent State, uh, and my stopwatch is still going. I thought it stopped. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm boring myself, um, no. and, and 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 so I went to cover that, and it was like hundreds of kids in 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 this large grassy area, and then in the front of all this was where the National Guardsmen were, and they were all there with with rifles, and, and I think they had bayonets on the rifles, wow. and and. Like an idiot, me and all, because there were national media there, yeah. um, nobody presumed that the guns were loaded. <laughs> yeah. Which, and I suppose when you, but I just thought, why would you need loaded weapons yeah, on, on a college campus looking at a crowd of students? Right. And you couldn't think something like that would happen. No, you wouldn't. Mm. Then all of a sudden there's gunfire and I saw one person go down like uh, maybe 30 or 40 feet away from me. And I thought, God, these are real bullets. You better run. And we all, everybody starts running and scurrying. I mean, because you, you mm. didn't know. I was just in shock. Anyway, yeah. I was there. Uh, you, told, you told me once about a story about how the segregation of black and white with the, um, where the water fountains or something, you did a story or you were back then. 
Do you remember that? I covered I covered a race riot uh, in Columbus, uh, and uh, the it was it was in a part of town that was almost all black. Yeah. Okay, and they were setting fires uh, to buildings in the area, and here I'm a little young white guy with you know with a because i was working in radio at the time and uh and the only and and i and i was sort of innocent just like i was innocent at kent state yeah. uh and 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 it really wasn't safe to be there but i thought well nobody's gonna hurt me I mean, yeah you know. and so i found a, a sort of like a dairy queen kind of place uh that was owned by white people who welcomed me to come in uh, and get on and and make phone calls back to the station and say what was going on. And while I was in there, they firebombed the Dairy Queen. Oh, wow. And so the only choice, and, and then surrounded the building, and there was a bunch of angry black people. Yeah. With, you know, and, they, and, and I thought, well, I don't have any choice. I'm either going to burn to death in here. I've got to leave the place. Yeah. So I walked out the back door with my little tape recorder and everything, and I didn't look at anybody. And there was just like, the crowd was like 20 deep, and I was scared out of my mind. And I just put my head down and walked through the crowd, and nobody did anything to me. But I remember wow. being scared. Uh, and then I was I was at a, a phone booth a couple of blocks away. And, and back in those days, again, I'm booth. dating myself. Yeah. Uh, it was pay phones. Yeah. And there was it was a double phone booth. And I was on the phone to the mutual broadcasting system, which used to be a network. And a reporter from, I think, the local newspaper was in the, in the booth next to me. Hmm. And he was shot to death by sniper fire. Really? And I saw this and I took off running out of that neighborhood and told the station, I'm not going back there as long as this riot lasts. It seems like you've had a sense of um, like, not, not super, not Superman, but, but you've been kind of in that danger zone, right? Yeah. Because you go yeah. through this news, you, you have the courage to, to try for the TV, right? And then you're covering all these stories and then it bleeds into your adult life, right? And right. so, and then you realize you have, you're an alcoholic, which is kind of the same methods. It, it's a different way, but it's still the same method. So tell me about that, like your alcoholism and being on TV. Well, and what, what made you get help? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. I got, I, I got tired of, of feeling ashamed all the time of the fact of because I was hiding what I was and uh and I and the problem was you know and after after four marriages you, you know the first couple you can say well it's her fault she's a bitch or something yeah. you know but Blame the you know, other after person. a while I began to think well maybe I had something to do with these four divorces mm -hmm. and I, I was like 99% responsible for all of them because I was never present uh, and, and, and I use the excuse that I have a high pressure job yeah. and, and, and it, and there is a, a lot of high pressure doing, doing, uh, being a TV anchor. Uh, there's pressure to keep your job, get good ratings. There's ever, always somebody who wants your job. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I would always just use drinking as a way to relax when I, when I got off the air. But what that meant was that, my wives at the time never got never got me sober. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'd go home and get drunk or I'd spend weekends getting drunk. Yeah. So the only people who got me sober were the people at work and the people who were watching TV. Yeah. And so I, I, I realized that, you know, I had a lot of things I had to deal with, like my insecurities and things like that. And uh, and I thought, well, if I if I go to a treatment program, people are going to know who I am and then they're mm-hmm. going to know that I'm an alcoholic. That's how I felt, too, if I went when I was um, living on the streets is that paper trail. Like once I admit it, then everyone's going to know, right. like, I'll lose my kids. There's that that um, that barrier that keeps us from wanting to get help because we're afraid of what other people right. are going to think. Right. And it's even worse being on TV every night and people seeing you. When you before you got to that point, you would um, drink until you blacked out. Were there like public people or people that would see you or help you or that noticed that when you would black out at a bar? I, you know, people. The, the problem was, and and I don't say this with uh, to be boastful or anything, but you're treated sort of like a star. I mean, you still not, are. I you get know, that. you're not the level of like a movie star or a pro basketball player or something like that. But in a local market, you're you're sort of a star. You're well yeah. known, and so people would just sort of excuse every all the stupid stuff I did when Randall. I was drunk because they said, "Well, he's he's Randall Carlyle." Yeah. You know, uh, you're still treated like a star everywhere we go. People are like, "That's Randall Carlyle." Well, and, so. and, and see, the problem with being a, an alcoholic was. I always got free drinks everywhere. I got invited to restaurant openings. I got invited to cocktail parties. Mm. And there was always free alcohol everywhere. So, but anyway, so I was, I realized that I, that I, you know, that I, I was a jerk a lot of the time. And I did, I was never faithful to any of my wives. I always screwed around because it was always easy to find, find a woman because you're on TV, you know, uh, so I just had to bite the bullet at one point. I, I don't know. I was just looking at my myself and I thought I'm not happy. I wasn't happy the whole time. Yeah. You know, I, and I was ashamed of what I was hiding. And and towards the end, people people say alcoholism is a progressive disease, mm-hmm. which it is because I could sort of hold my own for a while. And then I started blacking out every time I drank. Uh, and, and that was a total loss of control because I had to rely on other people telling me what I had done when I was, uh, you know, when I was drinking and don't remember. Yeah. And, and so I just said enough is enough. And I, uh, I don't know who, who steered me in the right direction. Uh, but I, I went to uni and yeah. had an assessment, uh, done and the, case manager or whoever it was who did my assessment uh, said you would probably work in an intensive outpatient program because I said I don't want to go into residential because that would totally disrupt my life. Yeah. Uh, and so I went through, I think it's a three-month, it's a three-month IOP program called Recovery Works. Yeah. Uh, and, and they were very understanding of... Uh, the fact that I was embarrassed because I was a TV guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, and they divide into small groups. Okay. And so my small group, they're all like, that's, that's the guy from TV. Yeah. And, and the therapist said, okay, 
let's call a spade a spade here. This this is the guy, he's on TV, and it's up to all of us to keep all of this confidential, what we're doing in this program. And you're creating change. Like, this can affect anybody. I know that it was challenging for you in that moment, but what it showed the world is that there's no discrimination. Exactly. And you had the courage to stand up and say, enough is enough and I need help. Right. So you go through uni and then, so you're, you're this anchor man, you have the courage, you stand up. Um, what shifted for you? Because now you work at Odyssey House and now you share a lot of stories, like my personal favorite from you, it's how we met first. <laughs> um, and all the work you do with the unsheltered and people with substance use disorders right. and mental health. I mean, you completely shifted your life around. Right. And what was that for you? What was that like and why? It, what I found is, I, it, I can only speak from my experience, but yeah. I found that life has a big turnaround with sobriety and recovery. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm happier than I ever was. I'm more patient than I ever was. I'm slower to anger than I ever was. Uh, and I like myself, you know, and it's the first time in my life that I have. Yeah. Uh, and, and what that does is it opens you up to everybody else. It, mm-hmm. You know, I want to help people. I want to do this. I want to be nicer to people. I'm not this arrogant, drunk TV anchor man, you yeah. know? Uh, and I was always a nice guy at heart, but this just opened my heart. Uh, and, and I, it's, and I've got to say, it's a hell of a lot easier staying sober, working at Odyssey house than working in television. I'm so, sure. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah. Anything else embarrassing you want to ask? We got to wrap this up. Oh man, uh, what would you what would you say to people that are struggling? I want to know like the empowerment part from you. Like, what would you tell people that are struggling that are afraid because they have a sense of leadership or they're in a job profession or just whatever it looks like? Like, what, what would you say to them? Just be open and honest, and and don't worry about that. Which is easier said than done. Because I've found, I haven't found one person who, when I admit that I'm a recovering alcoholic and this is what I went through, I haven't found one person who looked at me like, you're a loser, or that was a bad decision on your part. People are very supportive of people seeking recovery and very understand, they may not understand the disease because it is a disease, uh, but they're supportive of the fact that you're getting help. Okay, last question. What is the thing you love most about yourself? And I want to point out one of the things I love most about you is the son you are to your mom. Like you are the greatest son that I've ever met. 95 year old mom back in Ohio. I know how I feel being a mom and you are the the greatest son um, and you take very good care of her. What is the thing you love most about yourself today? I, I love the fact that I am open and giving and caring about the rest of the world. You know, uh, I never was before. I was always very selfish. Yeah. I think, which is true of most addicts and alcoholics, you're you're fixing, you're taking care of your your needs right. uh, first, and and now I just care more about everyone, and and I'm I'm more open and loving, and uh, uh, I I just. I, I, I just feel better about my, oh, and I'm not ashamed of anything. That's a good point. That is a you pretty know, good point. You know, somebody, I think it was Mark Twain who said something like, uh, the great thing about telling the truth is you don't have to remember what you said. 
Mm-hmm. And I used to tell so many lies. It's like somebody would ask me a question and I'd say, uh, how did I answer that? Because it was a lie. Yeah. You know, and now when you're an open book and you tell the truth, it's like you can ask me a million times and I'm going to have the same answer because it's the truth. Right. Well, I know I am incredibly grateful for you. Um, you are such a gift in my life and to the community. And so I'm so glad we got you unfiltered and we got to hear about you and your story and who you are. I'm pissed off at all your questions, but You're that's welcome. okay. That's all right. Yeah, I love, love you. Love you, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals.